Hey, Print Hustlers, welcome to another episode of our podcast. I'm your host, Bruce from Printavo. We've got our co-host, Stephen Farrig over at Campus Inc. And we've got a very, very special guest. Thank you so much for spending your time with us, Danny Sween, CEO of m Thank you, Bruce. Appreciate it. Uh, happy to be here. Appreciate you asking. You spent a while over at NASDAQ. You've been in, in the industry for some time now. How did you come to being CEO over at MNR? Crazy moment. Um, not expecting anything. Had no clue that MNR was, that Rich uh, Hoffman, who was the founder of MNR, was even uh, considering stepping down. Um, so, and I just, I got a phone call from him one, one day in early 2018. At the time, actually, he and I were having a bit of a dispute between our companies. So I was assuming that the reason he was calling me was for uh, to spar over uh, the dispute <laughs> he was having. And the first thing he told me was, I'm not calling you to argue. I'm calling to talk about something different. So are you sitting down? I said, yeah. And he said, would you, uh, would you consider being my replacement? I'm going to retire. Right. Picked up the phone after dropping it and staggering it around a bit. I said, "Yeah, absolutely, it's a dream job." So why would I? You know, it was a great opportunity that he gave me, and um, went through the process and met with uh, the uh, the equity group that owns our company, uh, Corinthian Capital, out of New York, and uh, somehow convinced them that I could actually do the job and uh, was given the opportunity. So it's, it was a lot of fun, and it's been a lot of fun so far. That's wow. awesome. So- so, Danny, you come from, I mean, from NASDAQ being on the Inc. side and more of like, how, how was it a transition now going into like being the president of a company that's creating these products like on the R&D side of things? But prior to being at NASDAQ, I was at Rutland for uh, a number of years and was vice president of sales between 2001 to 2006 there, uh, part of the uh, executive management team there. In that time was in charge of R&D and development and all sorts of things. It wasn't just vice president of sales. It was it really ran the whole textile part of the Rutland group. I got my start at Rutland uh, working in the laboratory. And then working at, at NASDAQ um, you know, for nine years, that was a lot of fun. Uh, that was mostly managing uh, salespeople and, and handling sales uh, for the textile business unit. So coming to M&R, we're, we're, we're not so dissimilar in some respects to the, the experience I had at Rutland in that we have a creative group, uh, we have a technical group, uh, and the opportunity to interact with all those groups is very similar to what I, my experience was at Rutland with the, the ink category. The differences obviously are we're making uh, equipment and mechanical devices and technology from a, you know, electronics and, and a mechanical standpoint. Uh, at Rutland it was more chemistry related, uh, but uh, the processes and the structure are very similar. Cool. And everyone, when we go to the trade shows, you see the digital squeegee, you see the digital squeegee. How soon after, you know, did you come to MNR knowing that was going to be something you guys were really focusing on? Or after you came, is that when the company really, you know, started putting it on the stage? Can you tell us a little about that? Rich and company deserve all the credit for the digital squeegee program. He and I did have conversations uh, while I was at NASDAQ, two and a half years before I joined MNR. Uh, we were... Uh, in discussions with him about the digital squeegee. I, had, I was on the digital squeegee concept very, very early when I was at NASDAQ through my relationships with some, some folks at Nike. I was turned on to the that as a potential pathway uh, for uh, next phase uh, in digital uh, embellishment techniques. So Rich and I had had some conversations about that, and I think that might have also you know uh, led Rich into the you know decision-making process to call me and ask and tap me for uh, being his successor because he knew that I was already familiar with that technology and had embraced it as a more than a 
suitable uh, next step for, for digital. And so I was really excited about that. But uh, there, you know, the technical group that's currently at MNR, my team today, those guys really developed and came up with that technology. My job has been to hype it and to promote it and to talk about it as often as possible. And now we're on to the next phase of, of development for digital. That's awesome. Is this where things are shifting? I feel like this is a big question that comes up, a five-year you know, future outlook. Is it very heavy digital or is that just an additional tool just like some shops have screen and they have a small amount of digital. Digital is absolutely going to continue to grow and eat into a fair amount of the screen piece of it. Screen will not go away. Screen's got its niche and it's ideally suited for large production runs, which I don't envision going away. And the capabilities to print with special effects, uh, this is where I think hybrid technology or the digital squeegee technology really plays well. Is that you can get uh, you can incorporate both special effect printing along with traditional you know CMYK development. The speed to market piece is very important. Uh, so you know backing up just a little bit back to my history prior to the Rutland days, I was in retail. I owned a couple sporting goods stores, so I have an appreciation for logistics and you know uh, display and retail, uh, which most of the embellished garments today and yesterday and, and tomorrow will be sold through some form of a retail channel. Digital allows you to have a just-in-time delivery uh, concept and uh, e-com is going to be a big part of our business and digital is ideally suited to feed e-com. And if you're paying attention, you know, the, the you know, e-com continually grows and continually eats into brick-and-mortar retail. Screen print is ideally suited to serve a brick-and-mortar environment today for the most part where uh, digital serves e-com in a much more effective way. And you're going to continue to see this correlative between e-com and digital as they both grow together. You'll see some impact in a negative way on the screen print uh, you know, side of the business. So this is the reason that M&R needs to you know, play in both categories. But by no means do I see digital replacing screen print. The shift in the percentage of garments that are embellished today digitally, that will continue to grow for a number of years. And then it's going to hit some form of equilibrium. For the time being, you're going to continue to see screen print, you know, give way a little bit to digital each year. We saw this year over year over year on a continual sort of pace. You're going to see a, a faster growth rate in digital uh, as a result of the pandemic. Uh, when we come out of this thing, it's going to be more important than ever to be involved or have your hand in digital in some way if you're a, a, a textile apparel embellisher. In order to be able to be the most attractive company for your prospective customers, having the ability to do both screen and digital is going to be the most attractive feature in most printing operations. Gotcha. gotcha. It's, it's new. And so, you know, when DTG had first come out, the price point was a lot higher than what it is today. Is it a goal of MNRs to try to bring that price point down to make it available to the everyday shop? Or is it one of those things where the, this is going to serve a specific niche for maybe these, these bigger high-end shops? What's the goal of MNR there? Our goal is always to offer a more competitive value proposition to our customers. So the answer okay. to that, I guess, is yes in some respects, or it's speed, or it's productivity, or it's ease. And it's also, there's an element of value that's tied to you know capability and creativity. We're trying to you know, tap all of those, but the, it, at the end of the day, just like you, we're just trying to be competitive and, uh, and have the best options for our customers at the the best price possible, uh, but our motive isn't to lower the prices necessarily. That would be unfair for me to tell you that because it isn't necessarily accurate. 
Um, it's not to raise the prices, it's to extract a premium uh, value and provide that to our customers, you know, make it a no-brainer for our customers to decide to go with M&R rather than other options that are out there. Gotcha. That, that- I have one follow-up, like the Maverick came out in the fall, I think, right, uh-huh. fall, something like that? Yeah. And that kind of came out like a dark night, like it's a really, really awesome machine. It was cool to see it right when it first came out. But I know that several years ago you guys took away the M-Link or you you stopped kind of making it. Was that to pause and say you were coming back? Because now you guys have something that's competing with these these international um, vendors that have these, uh, these other DTGs. What was the play there? I think it was just a matter of transition. Back to your previous point, uh, the price of digital has come down. Uh, substantially uh, in the last several years so that will that will continue I mean look it's a competitive race there's a lot of players that are in the, getting into the field and it's going to drive prices downward that's typically what happens and that's what happened with the M-Link the price point of the M-Link was right for its time but it was in the $70,000 you know category the productivity ranges were just being outstripped by our competition at some point that that happens with technology same thing with your computer same thing with your iPhones it, you know things get better so there's a there's a sunrise and a sunset to this technology. I suspect that at some point the Maverick will see that as well. Right now we're on the sunrise phase of the Maverick program. Speeds and price point and capabilities are are pretty impressive, but technology will continue to develop, and uh, you'll see that that give way to something uh, that'll be a next sort of phase. The reason we stopped with the the, the M-Link was simply because it had seen its uh, seen its cycle, and uh, we, we recognized that and, and stopped it. Uh, we still support it today. There's still plenty of people out there that do a lot of good with the M-Link, and we support that product. But, um, you know, it was time for us to go to the next stage, and that was the Maverick. Being at your facility, you walk past an area where you guys are shipping out all of the finished presses and equipment, and it looks like the vast majority are outside the U.S., and really emphasize the people who haven't been there. And I think most people in the States really only think about our kind of stateside industry here. But can you touch on your international presence? Because it seems like you guys ship just all over. Great observation, and we do. Depending upon the time of the month you're there or the day that you're there, uh, you'll, you'll likely see maybe a, a larger or greater percentage of those things going internationally. Uh, it just seems that uh, you know, gathering paperwork and getting everything sorted out, you have to ship 100% complete on the international shipments, and they generally happen toward the end of a month for whatever the reason. 40% of our revenues come internationally or outside of the borders of the United States. It's a substantial part of our market. We really do an awful lot of business in, in Latin America, Central America in particular. We have a fair presence uh, in Europe. We do fairly well in subcontinent Asia and Asia and, and Africa as well. So there's a big world out there. Uh, it doesn't stop at the borders of the United States by any stretch, and uh, we have to have to participate in all those markets, and we're fortunate enough that the brand is strong and uh, has a uh, reputation of being a very quality, long-lasting, durable, uh, you know, product. There's an appetite for that in all of these markets. One of the things that MNR has been known for is having such a strong service organization that if there is a problem, uh, we generally can get somebody there to solve that problem for you fairly quickly. So, and that 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 doesn't stop at the borders of the United States either. And so that's that's helped build our reputation as a worldwide company. Yeah, that's gotcha. really interesting. Do you have like do you break that up from a sales perspective more regionally or is it more reseller dependent to to be able to get such an international presence? Well, we we sell through distribution uh you know internationally 
worldwide, I mean, domestically as well, generally working in tandem with a distributor uh, in each market. And that's been critical for our success is, is to working, you know, with those, those dealers. They, in many cases, also have their technicians, but they're often trained and certified by our group here in Roselle, Illinois. It's a collaborative sort of process and that you're working with dealers uh, that believe the same things that you do and they have the connections uh, that, that make it a, a powerful organization. Wow. We would love to ask you a little bit about the Rebel. So uh, is it formally out yet? Is it? It's not. Everyone follows Andy from ShirtCong, so everyone keeps seeing him post about it. Can you talk a little bit about the Rebel? It's forthcoming. It's soon. Our intentions, you'll, you'll see it in all likelihood sometime this quarter. Uh, as far as a formal launch, um, obviously the pandemic screwed up the timing a little bit of the of the <laughs> launch. So, and it's nearly ready to go. Those who uh, could access the building once we were out of our stay-at-home uh, ordinance here in Illinois, uh, if, if you have the opportunity to come to our facility, we can actually show you one on our show floor, uh, our showroom floor. It fits in not a, a niche between the sportsman category and the gauntlet category. Maybe is the best way to describe it. But all the features and benefits, I'd really, uh, I would, uh, Tom Trimingham, our head of marketing, would strangle me, um, and he's a pretty formidable guy. If I shared too much information, they want to be able to uh, share as much information as possible with the launch. So maybe I'm offering a mu- uh, enough for a teaser, uh, but <laughs> I don't want to go into too much detail right now. Cool. That's awesome. Um, switching gears a little bit, you run a larger organization, right? MNR has how many people that are? About 150 internationally and about 450 domestic U.S. So right, right around 600 people. Wow. So leadership style, like as business owners look to continue to grow and departmentalize and, and learn how to manage their company at a larger scale, what do you feel like you've learned that you could share even down to managing your day, right, to, to be able to help continue to delegate and, and elevate others? Communication and authenticity. Don't pretend that you're something that you're not. Don't try to be Rich Hoffman, you can't be. Be yourself and uh, be honest about things. I believe that you have to create a safe environment for your people to, to debate the best ideas, to challenge your, uh, your, your ideas. That'll help us make the best decisions possible. You know, no pride of ownership. Um, that's part of the culture that we're trying to, to build at MNR. It's a little different style uh, than uh, but it's a style that works well for me and has served me well in my career. If you can get the trust of your people uh, to, to believe uh, that they can go anywhere and do anything within your organization, it's, it becomes pretty powerful. That's largely it. We empower our people. We encourage them to make mistakes. A lot of these things are cliches, but they're not in that a lot of people say these things and they don't really live it. I don't like hypocrisy. I like people that are uh, that are genuine and honest, and they own their mistakes, and they they do what they say they're going to do, and that's who we try to be every day at MNR. So it's it's not so much a cliche for us; it's really our life. It's how how we live live our lives, and it's our culture at MNR these days. That has worked well, and I think our people here in Roselle or throughout the world that work with MNR have embraced it. They've certainly taken good care of me. And I couldn't be happier and more proud of the people that I work with. Uh, they're, they're wonderful people, and they really care deeply about M&R and the blue equipment that's all over the world. They really take a sense of ownership themselves in that, and, and that's really been helpful for us. So it's not as hard as it might appear, uh, mm-hmm. the number of people, because I think most people are wired similarly. 
and they embrace those same sort of uh, beliefs or, or uh, character traits. You know, what about communication? Is there anything specific that you feel like, you know, is it is it writing things down or is it more weekly meeting with your team leads? Is it, you know, like more of a tactic that you found to help execute good communication? Two things about communication. A lot of people think communication is transmit only. It, uh, communication is transmit and receiver, right? So you need to listen um, actually better than you're speaking and create an environment that, that allows you to do that. Uh, our styles of communication vary. So we have a structure within the organization. We have a senior executive staff and each senior executive uh, member of the senior executive staff has certain responsibilities and departments that they oversee. And so we allow them to communicate down and throughout their groups. The most important thing that I can do is to make sure that our senior executives and their directors, uh, the director level management uh, and supervisory level management all embrace the same sort of general beliefs. And that is to have regular and frequent meetings and communication and make sure that everybody's reading from the same sheet of music. As an example, uh, we we're obviously uh, in a moment right now where there's a this pandemic going on. So the frequency in which we're having to have daily me uh, meetings with our executive staff went from a weekly meeting to a, a daily meeting every mm -hmm. morning meetings with executive staff. So it's just, it, it, it'll vary depending upon the circumstances and situations, but we always schedule, you know, calendar events and we ask people to plan their days uh, to where they you know meet their obligations to attend these meetings and participate and then they uh, they go out and do their thing you know it is obviously um, late April uh, we don't know how long the stay-at-home order is going to be in one minute what's how's the MNR plan changed or um, what's what do you think is the course of action over the next year year and a half we're scheduled to return to work on May the 4th. We've been in this stay-home ordinance. However, there's a few of us that are allowed to go to the office uh, for just uh, essential things. We do have a number of customers who are have been deemed essential in their respect, respective markets and their respective states. So we have to be there to serve them from a technical standpoint. Uh, we, our parts department uh, has remained open and we're able to get parts out to the marketplace again, to serve customers who are deemed essential. You know, manufacturing in a massive way, we still are in operation in Poland. We have a facility in Voints, uh, Poland, so we still can manufacture and make equipment there and ship it from our uh, facility in Europe. Uh, and we make most of the same products there uh, that we do in, in Roselle. We just make a lot more of them in Roselle, uh, but it's the same type of facility. Uh, our best guess is at this point that the May 4th uh, return to work will be extended until sometime probably late May is our best guess at the moment. So we're adjusting our plans to accommodate that. Uh, we have furloughed a number of employees. Uh, and that's been a very difficult thing. Um, I'm thankful for our employees who have understood this. We've not laid anyone off or anything officially at this point, uh, but we have uh, we've furloughed a number of our, our, our uh, employees as many people in the industry have, you know, that's a tough, tough gig. Um, we stay in touch with those people as much as we possibly can just to check on them to make sure they're doing okay. Uh, when you're furloughed, it means a little bit, it's a little different sort of a theme than it is if you're, you're terminating or laying people off. They're still part of the company. They still enjoy the benefits uh, of being a, an employee. They just don't receive a paycheck is the disappointing piece. 
but uh, you know our, our business is has slowed dramatically, and that's an understatement. Uh, when you know with this pandemic, uh, all of our markets for the most part have been shut down, with the exception of just a few categories. Uh, it's been very very slow. Do you feel like that's shifted maybe your sales strategy or or just overall company strategy even with new product development or how you execute things or is it more of hey let's try to wait it out let's just stay focused and we'll resume as normal hopefully when things start opening up most of our engineers have remained on staff because they've got active projects they're generally working toward the future right they're inventing and developing working on products that would be launched later this year or into 2021. We're working on the 2021 product line right now. And so, you know, to disrupt that in a dramatic way is a challenge. So uh, many of these folks, uh, our engineering team can work from their homes in many cases. So we're, we've kept a number of those folks on, on board. And then the digital team, uh, which we, we've named our smart team. It's a, a play on our logo or our, the M&R logo, the term smart. But uh, we've kept them on because it's we do anticipate that coming out of this crisis that there's going to be an increased demand for digital, uh, more so than there was as we were going into the pandemic. So we, we need to make sure we're bolstering that group. So we're making a play there in that category. Most of our salespeople are still you know with us on the team because they're, you know, they're important to you know, stay in touch with the customers, communicating with them. A number of our customers are really hurting. And so it's amazing to watch some of our salespeople get out and interact with our customers that are in trouble or having some problems and offering help wherever they can. And so that's really been a good thing for us just to, to keep the salespeople engaged. For the most part, it's been people in the in the factory uh, that have really been impacted the most uh, severely with regard to you know, having to be furloughed. Gotcha. So, Danny, you've seen the highs and the lows of this industry for quite a long time. Any positive words of uh, you know knowing that now you've seen it all? Yeah, <laughs> or even next next 365 days. Too, yeah, like, like most small shops about. that are you know small shops that are worried and and you know like. I talked to my dad and he said, people will still need t-shirts, Stephen. What advice do you have for, for us out there, knowing that you're a, a huge part of it? Listen to Stephen's dad. Uh, people still need t-shirts. Uh, he is absolutely right. And my belief is this, and I love this industry for a variety of reasons. It's been good to me, uh, but I, I'm passionate about it. And it's a creative process. Uh, look, your, your t-shirt is your personal billboard. You, you don't put a t-shirt on that you don't believe in or that, that doesn't represent your beliefs or your, your attitudes or your outlook on life. It's your personal billboard, and people want to express what they believe in. You know, which team do they cheer for? Are they Panther fans or Bear fans or Gamecock fans or Clemson Tiger fans? I'm from South Carolina, so that's where I default to. Uh, no, no offense to Illinois. Uh, <laughs> and so people are going to continue to to represent uh, as it pertains to the next 365 days. It's going to be challenging, guys. Uh, you know, I'm not going to mislead you in that regard. Our industry was hit harder than most. You know, we're maybe just above the cruise and hotel industry and airline industry is the T-shirt printed industry. Baseball games, football games, basketball games, soccer games, uh, yeah. you know, schools. You know, you, the whole thing has been impacted. So. But it'll start coming back. You know, retail will be the first thing that'll start coming back. And that gives you a channel to sell product and, and to get things into stores. You know, people are, have been wildly creative in this time. Masks and gowns and decorating. I was on the phone with a customer yesterday that uh, has a tremendous number of masks and gowns that they have to print. Uh, and that they're donating to, you know, hospitals and the likes, but they're putting logos in certain areas, and it's just really pretty cool to watch. So I think you'll see new things come out of this. 
stay optimistic. The industry will not die, will not go away. Uh, people are still going to buy T-shirts. You, you've got to batten down the hatches a bit, survive the next several months, get through this thing, and we will all come out better at the end of the day. We'll have new beliefs, new ideas, new thoughts. We'll uh, be more creative than ever, and the industry will be stronger than ever in, in a year from now. I promise you that. That's huge. That's huge. Danny Swoon, thanks so much for being able to join us today. It's my pleasure, guys. Thanks for asking. All right, appreciate thanks. it.